There are three things extremely hard: steel, a diamond, and to know oneself. With those words from the 1750 edition of Poor Richard's Almanac, Benjamin Franklin shared a maxim that has been around since the ancient Greeks: "Know thyself." Long before Franklin, Socrates gave us the oft-quoted saying, "The unexamined life is not worth living." In addition to giving life meaning, examining our lives and knowing ourselves helps us to be in relationship with other people. When we know who we are, we can be better communicators. Our question this episode: How do our personality and preferences influence our communication with others? Welcome to episode 28 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm pleased to be welcoming Karen Lee to the show to talk about how deepening our self-awareness can support us in figuring out how to best communicate with others, especially in sticky situations. We also respond to a listener question about asserting one's authority in the face of resistance. As always, keep listening after the conversation for a few closing thoughts and your call to action. Well, let's dive in. In the sometimes touchy-feely world of leadership development, personality assessments, and training, narrative founder Karen Lee maintains a focus on solutions that improve profitability. Her deep business background helps her to bring a fresh perspective and enables her to pursue her greatest passion, helping people become more successful and satisfied in their personal lives. Karen founded Narrative in 2014, a consulting firm improving business performance through consulting, training, and certification of the Narrative Big Five self-assessment. She founded Narrative after a successful 15-year career with Accenture, followed by 10 years with a small assessment publisher. Hi, Karen. I am delighted to welcome you to the How Can I Say This podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I know from our conversations and in looking at your website that you work a lot with assessments to help people understand their strengths and their work styles. What in particular do you think is helpful about assessments, and how can individuals use their results to increase their satisfaction and their productivity, and even clarify their career direction? Yeah. So it first starts with self awareness. So. Usually, when people take an assessment, they、um, it confirms what they already know about themselves, but it gives them a、um, framework and a terminology to, to discuss differences. Right.、Mm-hmm. So the first thing is self awareness to understand kind of this is how you naturally like to behave. The second thing then is to understand and try to estimate how your teammates or anybody that you're working with how they like to work. And then the point is to kind of move closer to the way that they like to work in order to what I like to say is get to a better result faster.、Mm-hmm. Also, everybody can't go around and change their job, right? Based on what they learned from an assessment, but they actually can change how they do their job, right?、Mm-hmm. So if they think about what their strengths are and kind of emphasize and capitalize on those things, that can be helpful. As far as career direction. I think assessments are great for that when people are thinking about doing something different. If you worry quite a bit, if you are very empathetic, if you're very service oriented, if you're、um, more extroverted, you may want to be like in a more helping profession, like、mm-hmm. healthcare or social work. 
if you are very analytical and potentially introverted and love to do research, you may want to be more in the research and sciences and that sort of thing. So I do use the assessments a lot in career development. Um, And it's not like we come out and say, oh, you should be an architect. It's more about what type of industry would make sense or what type of job. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm thinking about... um one of the things that happens with assessments is that we take them and it inevitably tells us something that we're like, that's not me. How could that be true? You know, and, and we will tend to maybe kind of knee jerk reject it and say, well, that's just, that's just not right. What should we do with that kind of information that comes out of assessments? Yeah. So um, a lot of times people do agree with most of it, but there is that one or two things that are like, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I would then suggest that people go and ask some of their friends or ask some of their coworkers, you know, hey, this is some information that came up and I'd just like to ask you, and if you, you know, ask them to be honest, um, maybe, you know, in the situations you've seen me in, does this sound true or is it different? Yeah. You know, so another way to ask is really to ask someone else. Also, research shows that if you get two people to rate you, it's about the same. It equals, you know, your self-rating. Ah, so somewhere yeah. like the truth is somewhere in between or it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, or that you really only need to get like two other people oh, to I confirm, see. Yeah. you know, kind of what, what they reserve. Yeah, excellent. When I hear something like, it's always great to get that affirmation. And like you said, yeah, most of the time you find yourself nodding your head and saying, yes, that explains a lot. (laughs) You know, that's how I felt when I figured out the whole introvert thing. And what I found is that um, if I'm willing to sit with those things that I say, that's not me, and do some reflection, says the introvert, (laughs) um, (laughs) as opposed to going around and asking other people, you know, when I do that reflection, it also sometimes might highlight a blind spot that I think can be reflected back to you by somebody else. But it seems like a good opportunity to take that information and decide based on evidence as opposed to just denial (laughs) whether or not that thing is is true or not for you because it could be valuable information and we're all very complex people right so in different situations we're going to behave in different ways so we can always come up with an example of when we behave differently than that but the assessments generally show kind of where you mostly behave yeah yeah i love them because they often are highlighting the strengths and giving advice and perspective on how to shore up any area that is a perceived challenge or or a real challenge. And that's why I find so helpful. Yes. Yeah, so right we we like to say that there's strengths, you know, wherever you fall on we we show ours on a spectrum. There's strengths wherever you fall. It depends on the situation. Yeah. And when any one person looks at their scores, they can think, Oh, I, I'd like that to be a little bit higher or a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna work on some things, right? right. But the, the point is, you don't have to change anything, right? It's it's really all up to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing that's helpful, I think, is um, going into it with a perspective of there's no better or worse type in these kinds of things. Um, it's about differences mm-hmm. and understanding those differences and learning how to work with them as opposed to against them. Yes, and how to appreciate mm-hmm. when someone else is different than we are, right? Absolutely. Sometimes differences generally cause some conflict because you're coming from such a different place. If you're like on one end of the spectrum and someone else is on the other end, then there's more room for conflict because you're just thinking so differently. But if you can turn that around and 
understand that, hey, they bring a totally different perspective. I should appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can give you some examples if you want to, but I'll let you lead the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're you're giving us a beautiful segue into the, a conversation about conflict, um, because one of the ways that we get in our own way when it comes, especially to workplace conflict, but it's also in the family, you know, anytime where there's two or more people gathered, one of the ways we get in the way is that we make up all sorts of stories about why someone is behaving the way they are. And that often can lead to bottled up or even inappropriately expressed frustration. So what do you think we need to keep in mind? And what are some strategies for flipping around that frustration into something that's a healthier approach? Yes. So one of the things you're right, one of the things we do is we make a lot of assumptions. And we tend to assume that someone else thinks the same way that we do. Um, It's just our natural tendency. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I would say a strategy is to try not to assume anything. Instead of assuming, you know, ask people how they think or how they're feeling or what did they see in this situation. So once you understand, okay, I'm an introvert, I really need a day to process this email that you've sent me. Don't put it in front of me and expect me to react to it right this minute. So you understand that that you're an introvert and that your teammate is an extrovert and they throw something in front of you and expect you, then you once you understand that, you can talk to them and say, hey, you know what, I really like to have time to really reflect on this and think about it, so could we talk about it tomorrow? It's really first not assuming that they're going to be just like you, asking them how they're feeling, how they and also asking them to accommodate or to understand your point of view. Right? right? And then we can turn around and appreciate what that other person brings to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, another example is if you're a doer and one of those implementers and you like to make things happen, and then you've got a colleague that's one of those ideas people that comes up and you're in the middle of implementing a project that you talked about six months ago and they bring up a new idea, you have to kind of stop and say, okay, I appreciate that they're coming up with that, these ideas. I want to get this project implemented and just understanding that, that, yeah, it's great that they have those ideas and we need those ideas at certain points in the process. And we need people like us to get things done. So it's, again, it's turning that around to appreciation. Yeah. Nice. Well, in order to have those kinds of conversations where appreciation is even possible, we have to have a safe container for those kinds of conversations. When it comes to creating safety around them, um, what do we need to take into consideration? I think one of the main things I like to say is really understand who is sitting across the table from you. So if you're talking to someone that is very assertive and direct, and you happen to be very assertive and direct, then there's not as much to worry about. You're not going to make that person feel unsafe probably, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is sitting across from me and they I know that they're very sensitive, that they worry about things, they worry about what people think, I need to potentially, especially if I'm more direct and assertive, I need to be more tactful and think about what I'm going to say to them and how I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's really about being aware yeah. of the people around you, you know, how, how to treat them yeah. to make them feel safe. What would you say to the sensitive person in terms of their awareness of the more assertive person? Like, it, it strikes me that, you know, as we're having this conversation, and I think it's because I've spent so much time in the introvert space, that often we are asking the person who's moving faster, the person who's more vocal, the person who's more assertive, to kind of 
put the brakes on a little bit or turn down the volume, right? Right. And I also talk about how the introvert needs to turn it up a little bit, but we don't often hear that sort of reverse perspective or advice. So I'm wondering about that person who is more sensitive or quiet or moving a little bit slower than the the aggressive, fast-paced person. How can they approach the situation to kind of meet the other person where they're at, just as the other person is trying to be attuned and aware to their tendencies and preferences? Yeah, so you gave a a good example of um, the introvert sometimes needing to be up. So the point is that we can all flex, we can all be flexible, right, Mm -hmm. in how we behave. Um, And again, it starts with that awareness. So for example, uh, introvert working with someone that's more aggressive, and first of all, they can decide when they're going to interact with them to some extent, right? Right. So they can try to make it so that they're not dealing with that like eight hours a day, mm-hmm. right? So they can try to set certain times. And then when they go, when they're going to talk to that person, they can kind of prepare themselves, right? Be prepared. Hey, remember, this is how she is with everybody. She's not doing it to upset me or anything like that. So it's kind of, it's again, that awareness. And then one of the examples that came to mind when you were talking about that is an introvert at a networking group, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) For the networking group, they know they're going to have to do some networking. They're going to have to kind of do more handshaking and chit-chat than they normally like to. So it's almost like they have to prepare for that. Yeah. And also don't schedule one every evening for five days in a row. (laughs) Heaven forbid. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So to, you know, use the information that you get to inform how you prepare yourself to be flexible and attuned to someone else's needs, because it goes both ways. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, I want to turn to a listener question that we received that I think you're going to have some great insight on. And and this comes from Margaret. And Margaret wrote to me and she said, in a work setting, I want to give advice in an area where I have experience, but it's not getting through. How do I give advice or truly constructive criticism in an area where I'm an emerging expert in a way that the person can receive it? Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I go back to the question of who am I working with? Who is this person that I'm dealing with? Right. Mm -hmm. And who am I? So my first question would be, is Margaret more of a tactful person and she is maybe more reserved And is she dealing with someone who is more assertive and maybe more direct, Mm -hmm. um, maybe that fast-paced decision maker, right? Mm -hmm. And just from the question, I'm kind of making up a scenario, but it could be a lot of other things, right? Right. But let's say that's the case. Well, Margaret needs to see that maybe her point is not getting across because she's being too timid about expressing it Mm -hmm. because the other person is so assertive and dominating that they're not hearing, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe Margaret does need to up her game a little bit on asserting it. And it will feel uncomfortable for her, right? It will be out of her comfort zone. But it sounds like this is important to her. And so she's going to make the effort probably to do that. Uh, She needs to match that other person's um, so that they even can have the option of taking it in and doing something about it. So really looking at who you are and how you're behaving and then looking at the other person and how they like to behave. So trying to match them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that thing of buy-in. So potentially going to people that are important to the other person that might listen to them. 
hmm. more, mm-hmm. um, getting their buy-in, maybe getting some support, looking at doing something a little differently. If it's not working the way you're doing it, think about doing it in a different way. Yeah, and I, I like that idea of um, particularly getting buy-in and finding out who does that person listen. If they're not listening to you, who do they listen to? Right. So what is their motivation? And is there a way to enlist them? Yeah. 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 Or hit on something that motivates them, even to the point of if they like, if they're really insecure, right? Right. So you're not trying to manipulate them. You're trying to influence them, right? Mm. There's a difference. We talk about that. What you're trying to do when you try to meet them more where they are is you're just trying to influence them and make them more comfortable. Right. And they're going to be more receptive if they're more comfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. If they feel, and especially if they feel like they're partnering with you on it in some way. And I, I really appreciate that distinction, you know, between manipulation and influence. I wonder, could you say just a little bit more about that? Like, how would you draw the line between the two of when you know that you're, you know, what's the line between being manipulative and being influential? Yeah, that's a tough one. But we're always a message that we're giving is really trying to meet that person where they are so that they're more comfortable. It's easier for them. And what you are trying to do, again, it's an influence. Now, if you were just trying to be more like them, then I think you might mm-hmm. move into the manipulation, right? If you're really thinking in terms of like puzzles and agendas mm-hmm. and things like that. But if you're truly just trying to act and behave more like them to make them more comfortable, I think that's where you're sticking to influence. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I thought you can probably tell that it's crossing over into manipulation if you feel like you're putting your agenda ahead of theirs in some way. Like you are attached to a particular outcome that they may or may not buy into. And you might not feel very authentic, right? Right, right. Yeah. manipulating. Yeah. yeah. You really have to kind of pay attention to, to what's going on, you know, even how you feel. Like, I, I know that if I'm not being authentic, I can feel it physically in some way, or, you know, I can feel like yeah. little mental tug of war happening. We kind of circle back to the very first thing you shared about self-awareness and how important it is in yeah. recognizing that. Yeah. So we're always saying that this is this is not easy. It's, it's hard work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so easy for us to just show up the way we are and not consider who we're talking to and what we want out of the conversation. Yeah. But it's always easy to think about where we are, right? Yeah. It yeah. takes effort to think about who are the people, how do they like to work? Mm-hmm. How am I going to get a good outcome? Yeah, right. Yeah. Nice. Well, this has been very enlightening and and very helpful, and I especially appreciate your perspective on the the listener question. So, um, so Karen, how can people learn more about you and the services that you offer? Yeah. So my website is um, aboutnarratives.com dot com, mm-hmm. and my email c c l e e c c lee at aboutnarratives.com. dot com. So. I'd love to hear from anybody. Great. And I know right away that you identify as an extrovert because you shared your email. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. And I'll make sure that that information gets on the episode webpage so that people can reach out and connect with you. So so thank you so much for sharing your insights and for your generosity. Oh, great. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Before I offer some closing thoughts and your call to action, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. From there, you can find resources related to each episode, including this one, access past episodes, subscribe, or offer feedback. We also really appreciate your ratings and reviews. You'll find information about leaving a review for the show on the website. 
As you heard in this episode, an occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. As we wrap up, I wanted to add one more point to our response to the listener's question. Whatever approach Margaret takes, it might be wise to consider if the person who's resisting her feedback might have a need to save face. To save face means to maintain respect and avoid embarrassment. If her colleague perceives that accepting Margaret's advice might reflect badly on her or make her look incompetent, she's going to take pains to assert her confidence and appear in control. And that means saying, I've got this, even if what Margaret is offering is a reasonable suggestion. That means that Margaret ought to maybe consider that her colleague cares highly what others think of her, and that accepting Margaret's advice, especially if that advice goes contrary to her own thinking, is somehow admitting that she doesn't know what she's doing. We can tell from the way Margaret describes the situation that the last thing she wants is to throw her colleague under the bus or cast her in a negative light. She's not even saying that she's out and out wrong. She's just saying that she wants to be respected for her expertise and the expertise that she was hired for. So consider how to approach it, being mindful of the colleague's need to save face. That includes making her look good in front of her peers and boss, finding ways to frame the advice in such a way that it builds on what she's already done rather than negating it entirely, and even for Margaret to say something like, I have some ideas about this, but I'd like for you to think it through with me. If she's open to that, Margaret could influence the conversation in a co-created way, bringing her colleague in on the solution that Margaret's expertise tells her is best. I offer this without knowing if this is the kind of dynamic that's at play, but in the spirit of looking at the challenge from another angle. It's always worth considering the story that someone else might be playing in their heads, especially when it comes to receiving help. For some people, asking for help comes easily. For others, it's extremely vulnerable, and they'll resist it, even if on some level they know it would be valuable. See what you can do to discern which one it is, and when in doubt, err towards assuming that they feel vulnerable, and attempt to partner with them more than coming in as the expert. Getting the best possible end result is more important than where the idea came from. I'm going to pivot a bit and share a call to action related to another part of that conversation regarding influence versus manipulation. I'd venture to guess that every day you have a situation where you want something, the other person wants something else, or they don't know what they want, and you have a choice. You can influence or you can manipulate. Influencing involves good faith negotiation, co-creation of an outcome, being open to possibilities, and attempting to find a solution that satisfies the basic needs of both people. Manipulation happens when you're attached to a specific outcome, but act as if you are open to change. Your intention is to get your way, and by appearing to negotiate, you're actually just stringing them along because you know you're not going to give in. Notice when you're in those moments of choice and what your impulse is. I can give you a quick example from my own life that seems very trivial, but I'm just now realizing that it's 
probably an example of manipulation. On evenings when we don't want to cook, my husband and I will agree to go out to eat. The tension comes on where to go. There aren't a lot of choices in town that meet our criteria, so it usually comes down to about three or four places. I might say, "I don't care. You pick." And then, when he picks, I wrinkle up my nose and say, "I'm not in the mood for that. What about this restaurant?" He'll grumble and say, "That sounds boring." I'll toss back a reminder that they have his favorite fish tacos, and besides, they make a good burger. So we would both be happy. In the end, I win, and that I win is part of the problem. Yes, he wins in that he gets his fish tacos, but was I really honest at the start when I said, "I don't care, you pick"? If I knew what I wanted, why not say so? Why frame it as if I didn't care, or that I was open to negotiating about it, when really I had a firm idea in mind? If I'd been forthright from the beginning and stated my preference, then we could have had a more honest conversation, which would have resulted in influencing one another's choice rather than having a slight underlying tension of manipulation. As I said, that's a very minor transgression, but it's a minor transgression that, unchecked and if it adds up over time and flows over into other areas, can set up a dynamic where honest communication is replaced by bad faith, "I win, you lose" dynamics. So notice where you might be substituting manipulation for influence, and consider what it would feel and sound like to make the conversation more honest from the get-go. This is Beth Bilo, and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me and Karen today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Please.